Wow, you're quick on the draw. I think that's just right. Okay, that's fine. It says Trans Bay Latency. Hmm. Good show. Does that does that go up or down when the uh, Trans Bay tube is closed? No, it's. it's I'm assuming done. that I'm assuming that increases the latency. Everything's done with uh, satellites and mice. Did you know that like half of San Francisco's public transportation system is partially shutting down at one point or another over the next few months? What do you mean for repairs, or what do you mean? Well, so Bart. They're closing the Transbay tube, which is what connects, you know, the city to Oakland, the the first weekend of August and then over Labor Day weekend. Yeah, for repairs. Right. And then I just read that the Muni Underground is going to be shut down every night starting at nine thirty for the next six months so that they can do a bunch of various repairs. Gotta prep for that big earthquake. Well, yeah, I guess. Does it, that ever make you nervous? Oh, every day, yeah. I don't think I'm a nerv- as nervous as I should be about that. It It is by far and away the worst 10 minutes of my day. No, no, I don't mean you writing Muni. I mean just the, the idea of a Northern California big earthquake. Oh, well, um, not usually, but I, I do think about it when I'm on BART in the Transbay tube. They actually just did a whole set of repairs over the last couple of years, which are supposed to make it a lot more resilient to earthquakes, but it... It still startles me. I try not to think about it, but thanks for bringing it up. I appreciate that. Sure. So this is what people tune in for. I think people tune in for this. Yeah. I mean, or we're, this is this is what people load us into uh, their podcatcher for. Right. I mean, we're just you know we're trying to help people. Yes. I was reading something that didn't. It said that it's not California. It's uh, Seattle that's going to get uh that's going to get it bad. Hmm. I'll have to send that link over. Anyway, so, so what's uh, what's shaking this week? Oh, is that, a, is that a really bad pun, or did you just do that accidentally? I heard a lot of new things this week. That was one of them, and then I heard that uh, getting fined thing. Well, the getting fined thing happened like, I mean, it was over the Super Bowl week, or the week before the Super Bowl, so that was six months ago. I'm not cool, so therefore I get every cultural thing like nine months later. Interesting. Is, is that that's the Transbay tube lag you were talking about? No, I think that's just my old personness. Mm. All right. Uh, so let's kick this off. <laughs> yes, please. Actually, I do have a. Uh, I had this from a couple weeks ago. And I think I never asked. Um, do you have any uh, aspirational things you want to learn in life, or things you want to you feel like you don't have the time for, but you kind of want to do? Wow. And I don't mean like travel. I mean just like uh, skills. Like, for example, for me, uh, I always have wanted to know how to uh, score a baseball game. Is there any stuff like that that you have? Yes, I, w- I would like to get my private pilot's license. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really big into Flight Simulator growing up. And through the later part of like el- elementary school and middle school, uh, when I was you know, most into it, I, I thought for sure I was going to be a pilot. Interesting. Does Microsoft still make that? No, they um, they stopped. It's actually been a while now. They came out with Flight Simulator X, and that was man. ten. No, I think I think they refer to it as X. Oh, um, is that is that where you get the confusion on Mac OS ten? It, it is actually yes, and that came out. Man, that probably came out six to eight years ago now. Ten. Wow. 
or released October 20, uh, 2006, 2006. Okay, yeah. So nine years. Yeah, they, they just came out with a version, a third party bought the rights to Flight Simulator from Microsoft, and they came out with a re-release on Steam late last year, which makes it compatible with like the latest versions of Windows, but no no graphical updates or anything like that. Gotcha. Hmm. All right. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was part, this is getting really nerdy, but um, I was part of like a online community called Batsim. And it um, it was pretty cool. It 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 had people learn, you know, real air traffic control procedures, and then people who were flying would learn, you know, real piloting procedures, for lack of a better way of describing it. And um, uh, yeah, I, it was a lot of fun. And I, I thought for sure for a while I wanted to be a pilot, but you know, just kind of the um, you know the economics of airlines for a while especially like in the early parts of the 2000s were were fairly daunting and um you know um i decided decided against it okay man i need to dream bigger that's i mean that's getting your private pilot's license isn't necessarily that big of a thing but it's way cooler eh, i guess it, it's something i i like to think that i'll for sure do at some point okay do you have any minor things <laughs> to make me feel better? And then we can we can edit all that out. Yeah, I've I've always wanted to learn some form of computer programming. Okay. Do you think uh like uh, uh like a web scripting language or uh do you want to be able to like make your own uh, iOS app or something? I'd I'd really like to be able to make my own iOS app. Yeah. I've I've given I've given it a try a couple of times. I took a computer science class in high school which was like Java focused. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, once run anywhere. Right. Um, he must have listened to this week's episode of the talk show. Well, no, that's, that's been everywhere. Yeah. But they, they talked a lot about that. Have I already told you the Java joke? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, okay. Uh, knock, knock. Uh, who's there? Java. Java who? Nothing. It's just funny because you, there's a long pause because Java is so slow to run. Boom. Mm. <laughs> Boom roasted. It's one of the best jokes in the world. I just tell it very poorly. Yeah, no, we'll we'll cut some laughter or something in there. <laughs> Either uh add to or uh remove the pause. Whatever makes it sound better. Sure. So do you want to talk about some actual stuff now? Uh sure, I guess we I guess. Oh, wait, we I'm should. sorry, I totally I totally uh sidetracked your whole Java thing. Okay, so you were trying to learn Java in high school. Yeah, and that just didn't click. It just wasn't for me. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I did some courses on Code Academy, just a you know free free site where you could they have a series of different uh, languages that you can learn, and did a little bit there. I forget exactly which language I tried on there, but again, it just it just my brain just doesn't really work that way. I, I don't know what it is. Um, Do you think it's lack of time, or lack of interest, or lack of like expertise, or like like what do you think? Do you think if you did much more of it, it would get better, or you just don't think that way? I just don't think that way. Um, I felt the exact same way when I tried learning Spanish in high school. Like, I went... <laughs> I'm serious. I, I went No, in, that totally I, makes sense. Yeah, I, I went into my Spanish courses in high school really, really, really wanting to become fluent in Spanish. That, that was, you know, if you would have asked me this question that you asked me tonight 
in high school, I, I one of the things I might have said was learn a different language, and because I really, really did want to, and gave it a you know pretty hard try for like three years, and it it honestly just never clicked. And I even after that one year of computer science, I felt exactly the same way where no matter how much effort I put into it, I just felt like it wasn't going to, wasn't going to work out. But I guess, you know, like for me, the, the programming thing, I don't know. I just, I feel like I come across more and more situations, both just like in my personal life and at work too, actually, especially at work recently where I just wish I knew how to do the coding. You know, I, I wish I didn't have to like rely on someone else to do the programming. Oh, what, what's an example? Um, well, like at work, yeah. I mean, like at work, you know, we deal a lot with. So I'm in, I'm in finance. You know, that's that's as much as I'll say, I guess, on the show. And you know, we we do a lot with um, systems, and you know, specifically, you know, we we build a lot of our own systems, and I guess you know, we also work a lot with like third party vendors. But we also with those third party vendors, we'll do a lot of sort of the customization, and. You know, whenever there's a new feature that I'd like to see or something I would want changed, you know, there, there's a process you have to go through where you submit the request, it gets prioritized or deprioritized, and it, you know, takes some period of time. And then it, you know, even when it does get done eventually, it might not really be exactly what you were envisioning it. So, like, there are just situations where, like, I can visualize exactly what I want. I just, you know, I just can't go behind the scenes and make the code changes that need to be made. And it just, you know, it'd be really nice if I could. So it's not like a system where you can just do like your own like custom SQL requests or anything? Right. I mean, we have, we have a lot of that, but um, there's also a lot that can't be changed just through, you know, simple UI tweaks or through simple queries. Gotcha. Hmm. That was a good question, actually. Sure. All right. Uh, so where do you want to start with uh, with the week? Um, I don't know. I feel like there's kind of a lot actually. I mean, normally we say there's a it's a slow week, but I I don't feel that way about this week. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you want to start with like the Bill Simmons stuff? Not what I would consider uh, the week's biggest news, but let's go for it. I guess it's it's top of mind since it just happened today. Okay. Um, so Bill Simmons is going to HBO. Uh, there was a lot of speculation, of course, when he was leaving ESPN about, you know, whether he would maybe go to Fox Sports 1, which has really been investing a lot in their new network, uh, whether he would maybe just go fully independent, kind of run his own Grantland thing, but not have it be run by a major media company or be partnered with a major media company. Um, but he kind of he did something that I don't really think many people predicted, which is go to a premium cable network which really outside of boxing doesn't have like a huge sports presence well they've got the uh the brian gumble and like the real sports and they do their own like documentaries and stuff i guess what i mean is they don't do a lot of live sports and it's kind of day-to-day sports coverage and you know he he does you know, simmons when he was on or with espn he you know he did a lot of the non day-to-day stuff like he had 30 for 30 and a lot of what was on Grantland wasn't about you know what was happening today but rather kind of like big picture stuff so he definitely did do a lot of that but he also did do a lot of the the live sports stuff you know he was on uh, ESPN's pregame and postgame NBA shows for a couple of years 
He did a weekly NFL podcast. He started doing a weekly NBA podcast shortly before he left. Um, so, you know, he, he did do a lot of that. And I, I just don't really see him continuing to do that type of work with HBO. And I, I guess I'd, I guess I'd be a little disappointed if he just focuses on um, like documentaries and they've already said he's going to have like a weekly sort of talk show kind of thing. Um, but I guess, I'd, I guess again, I'd, I'd be a little disappointed if that's really all he ends up doing. So he's probably going to be doing a thing that like follows like last week tonight, or are they just going to like try to build out that whole like Sunday uh, thing that they're doing? That, I mean, when they announced it today, that was immediately the first thing I thought of. And if, yeah, if I had to guess, that's how I would picture it being. And do you think that's all he would do? Or do you think he's going to restart? Because a lot of his like later stuff, like ESPN was like a major funder of Grantland, or did they own it entirely? Like what was the deal with that website and all the online content? I, I don't know exactly. Um, but they, but they have, they have said that he's going to continue doing podcasts and things like that with HBO. But again, that's kind of where my question is. I don't, I don't really know what that looks like. I mean, does HBO even have sort of like a podcast distribution network? Any, we have a podcast distribution network. Anybody can. But I mean, do, do they have one currently? Like does HBO actively produce podcasts? I don't think so. I think there's one for last week tonight, but it might just be an audio recording of the show. Yeah, so that's kind of what I mean. I, I just, but again, but like, was, didn't he almost like build the like pop culture sports hybrid thing, Grantland, all by himself for the most part? Or not all by himself, but it was mainly his direction? Yeah, but I guess, I mean, I, I think ESPN already had like podcasts and things, and they already had ESPN radio and that kind of thing. I'm not sure, so sure that's that's a big hurdle. It's just whether, like, how he would allocate his time and what what they intend to get out of it just because HBO is mainly a like they create half hour or hour long bits of television that they can resell or that they can sell to their premium subscribers. I'm not sure how much value they get out of him investing much time in podcasts that how would they even like, would the podcast always be free? Would they be somehow tied to an HBO go login? Like there's a lot of stuff of where the value they get for their investment in him goes. Right. That that's that's also part of what I'm unsure about. I mean, maybe maybe the podcasts become a mechanism to sort of you know promote his show and promote some of the other things that he's doing, which are only available through subscribing to HBO. Um, but then, if that's the case, you know, how do you kind of balance the line between actually producing good content and not just you know have it be a vehicle to promote your paid content? I don't know. We'll we'll see. I'm I'm definitely willing to to give it the benefit of the doubt. I I really enjoy his work, and I do think that having the resources that you know HBO can provide him is kind of the you know perfect opportunity for him to continue to do a lot of interesting things. Um, but I guess I don't know. I guess I was kind of hoping that maybe he would go out on his own fully, like kind of have a Grantland type of network, but have it truly be sort of his own thing yeah that seems extremely difficult though it does yeah and i, I or it know. seems extremely risky in this kind of weird shaky transitional media environment we have right now right but it seems like you know if there's anybody who could do it like he'd be on that list of people 
Sure. But I, I think going this route with uh, an established media company that, and in particularly one that takes a very hands-off and supportive approach to the creative side of things, uh, is, is, sets him up to be able to make the kind of things he would want to make in a much better situation. That's a good point. It, it is a network which certainly supports strong personalities and sort of more, you know, maybe controversial content. And, you know, that's been widely cited as the reason why ESPN didn't want to retain Simmons is because he just was a little too far out there for them frequently. Well, um, was he? Wasn't he just calling people out on their shit, kind of? Well, I mean, yeah, I... I I pretty much support everything he that he said, but um, that's not that's not ESPN. I mean, e- ESPN's owned by Disney. I, I think I think that about summarizes it the you know the best that you could. It's seventy percent owned by Disney, but anyway. Well, like, anyway, and and I, and I guess I I don't mean that. I mean I I very much enjoy Disney. I don't mean that as like a direct put down but disney has a certain way of doing things well no they have, they have a certain culture and they also have a, a pretty well-oiled business machine where ruffling the feathers of advertisers is not kind of their uh their primary game you know I, this is somewhat of a tangent but i there was the 60th anniversary of uh, disneyland last week or the week before the diamond ceremony yes and i read an article just with some interesting facts about disneyland and so one of the things is that when the park opened, Walt Disney was absolutely adamant against uh, selling alcohol. So even to this day, there's actually no alcohol sold in Disneyland. Uh, but, there, but there is alcohol sold at the next door California Adventure theme park. Oh, great. There's like a winery and then there's a couple of other places that you can buy beer. And there's a policy in place where uh, the characters who you know walk around the park are told to never appear in a picture where alcohol is present. So if one of the guests has a glass of wine in their hand or a cup of beer and they want to take a picture with a character, uh, they will not allow that to happen. That's interesting. Yeah, I just I, I bring that up as a, a way of kind of demonstrating what I was trying to say. Where does Disney just has a has a brand and they have an image and that's fine. And I just Simmons, I think, sort of. I mean, and you see it, you see it particularly on SportsCenter over the last year where it's, you know, it's become a very sort of, I don't even really know exactly how to describe it, but. Not we, good? <laughs> hold, hold on, hold on. Okay, a couple things. I I, I, ver- I like that uh, Disneyland trivia, but I, I don't think that's the, the wholesome image that Disney tries to promote with its uh, theme parks and amusement destinations really translates into the media side of the business. Because some of the movies they produce, and particularly a lot of like uh, their other programming, is not like entirely wholesome. So I don't think that saying somewhat controversial things is really that out of line for them. I think it's much more a financial pressure that they feel on a property that contributes so much to their bottom line. And right now, in the past year, has had like a very weird year financially in terms of talent leaving viewership and like uh their deals with cable companies so i'm not sure it's a it's like a wholesomeness thing that and that's, and that's fair I, I think there is a very large financial component to it given that you know <clears throat> simmons strongest words last year were against the you know nfl commissioner and there's a lot of money exchanging hands between the nfl and 
ESPN slash Disney. So I, th- I think you're right. There, there certainly is a financial angle to it too. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I'm going back to Sports Center. I think yeah, there's been a real weird like shift in in tone and also decline in quality. It it appears it's it's all just reading Twitter on screen now, and it's it seems like the coverage just isn't as good anymore. It's it's very like off balance. Yeah, the the social media stuff, particularly the Twitter stuff, I I, I don't enjoy at all. Um, they they do have though the the one nice thing I'll say is the the midnight Eastern Sports Center now. So when it comes on at nine o'clock here, have you have you seen this? It's it's formatted differently. Uh, I've never noticed that there's a particularly different edition based on time of day. So I, I wouldn't say that I have. So the, the midnight Eastern uh, Sports Center now, unless there's like a game or something going on, but if it's just their standard lineup, uh, that hour of Sports Center is structured to just be all top plays. But then they, they also like weave in kind of what happened with like the rest of the game. So they, they still kind of provide like a similar recap that normal Sports Center does, but the the structure and the focus of it's much different. I actually think that's that's pretty good. I I do enjoy that. But yeah, regular Sports Center is just I don't know. It, it's it's not. I'm not as drawn to it as I used to be. Yeah, I used to always have it as kind of my just my my go to if there's just nothing else on. And I don't know. It just seems yeah, just the constant tweets um, going by and and I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I don't really understand what the what was wrong with the old formula. And I guess there's the, like the the focus on particular storylines really bugs me too. Like I mean, people. This is one of the things that you see people most criticize them for. But like their constant fatuation with LeBron James is is kind of ridiculous at times. And I and I I really enjoy LeBron James, and I get that he's very popular and all that. But I mean, sometimes it's it's just it's a little much. I mean, like, like a perfect example is um, when he ended up re-signing with the Cavaliers a couple of weeks ago. Didn't they, they give him like his whole like one-hour special? <laughs> well, no, that was that was the whole decision thing in 2010 when he went to Miami. But th- this year, when he re-signed with the Cavs, you know, they they made this huge deal of it. They spent hours covering it. Like he didn't even talk to a single other team. Like he, they, he was not leaving Cleveland. He's never gonna leave Cleveland again. It's, it's, it's not a story, and they obsessively focused on it. And it's just, it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Challenging times. <laughs> yes. Yeah. On the upside, nobody cares about basketball. So, Ugh. moving on. Um. Where do you want to go? Do you want to? Um, I, I, I have, I have a, a since we've you know we haven't talked about Apple yet, which is weird. Um, We're half hour in almost. I yeah, think it's the first. Um, I I would like to talk about the next iPhone. Okay. So on this uh, this week's upgrade, um, which I feel like we've now the, the upgrades almost become like our what used to be our you know daring fireball kind of weekly reference. Um, just every week we're obligated to mention upgrade, uh, on, on this week's show, uh, Jason Snell made the point that he thinks that the new iPod touch, which got released last week is a surefire indication that we're going to see some form of an upgraded iPhone this year in a four inch screen. 
maybe not with like the top of the line internals that you know the six plus and or six s and then six s plus or whatever they're going to end up being called maybe not those specs but something relatively similar you know maybe even like the current iphone 6 specs uh, but again in like in a four inch sort of like iphone 5s casing um i guess two questions first do you do you think this is a you know a possibility something we'll see this year and two like is is this something like you'd be interested in slash do you think a lot of people are like clamoring for this do I think it'll happen? Yes, I think just in the, by nature of it not having the high end specs, I think they do want a kind of a, a nice mid range device that's not just the usual sliding everything down a generation. I think it's also a product that a lot of people demand. I, I think there's a, like just based on people I talk to, I think there are people who choose the iPhone 5s for its size and begrudgingly accept the lower specs because they don't want a phone that's as large as the 6. So no, I definitely think it has a place in the lineup and Apple is of a size where making it is not that big of a deal for them. So yeah, I think so. Is it something I would want? A week after the iPhone 6 was released, I would have said yes. Now I'm pretty comfortable with the iPhone 6 size that I would probably say no, that would not be for me. But so you, at least initially, you, I think, expressed some concern over the larger screen size. Definitely. No, like, again, a week after I got the 6, I would have said I would have loved every bit of functionality that the iPhone uh, 6 has in the casing of an iPhone 5S. And I still kind of think that because I I don't like the rounded edges of the iPhone 6. I think the 5S felt much better in the hand. But in terms of like uh, keyboard width and uh, reading surface area and just overall, I do think that the iPhone 6 form factor, I, I would much rather have something that's closer to 4.7 inches than uh, 4 inches after I've lived with it for a while. Hmm. Okay. So, so, so I've, I've reversed my stance on that. I, I really did. I think a lot of people um, when the 6 came out were kind of like, ah, I'm, not, I'm not too sure about the big phone. I hope in the future there's going to be like a premium spec phone that's of an iPhone 5S size, but now I'm I'm not terribly sure about that. Like if like if the new if the new phone was like four and a half inches, I think that'd probably be perfect. But I'm not sure that's enough of a, dis of a distinction for them to make. And based on like the casing samples that people have like uh, posted online of the of whatever the 6S is going to be, it looks like it's going to be the exact same size as the six. Yeah, you know I um. I don't, I just, I don't really know exactly like who this would be for. I mean, certainly there's the angle that it's going to be cheaper on contract than the new, you know, iPhone 6S and 6S Plus. But outside of that, I, I, I haven't had a single person who I've known who's, you know, upgraded to the 6 who has said, oh, you know, I, I wish I could go back to the smaller screen size. I, I think the experience that everyone I know has had is very similar to yours where, yeah, maybe there's sort of an initial learning curve. And maybe if you ask them like in that first week of using the phone, they'd say, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd go back to a smaller screen size. But I, th I really do think once you get used to it, you'd, I don't know, like the idea of going back to a four inch screen seems um, crazy to me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say crazy, but I, I, 
I'm much less predisposed to want a phone of that size based on having lived with this one. Um, also, a quick side note or, or question. Do you think it's honestly going uh, to be called the, the 6S Plus? Because that just sounds like a really terrible name. <laughs> yeah, you, um, you texted that to me earlier today, and I think you made, what, the comment that it sounds like a Samsung phone. Like, there's just too many syllables in the name. Like, it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't flow well. It doesn't sound good. And I don't know what way they would have around it other than them jumping all the way to iPhone 7. But if they're keeping the case the same, I don't know how they'd be able to do that. But you know, 6S, Apple iPhone 6S Plus sounds terrible. Yeah, but the, the names of most of the iPhones and iPads over the last year or two have been iPad Air 2? Crummy. No, iPad Air 2? It's not amazing, but it doesn't have that many syllables. I I agree that it doesn't sound all that good, but I, I would not be at all surprised if um it's it's the six S plus. Do you see how you really had to think about it consciously of how you would say it? I no, it I it doesn't I, sound I, natural. It doesn't, but I I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's the way they go. Ugh. Okay, anyway. As you were. Uh yeah, I so I, I don't know. I this this feels like somewhat of a strange product to me Un- unless it truly is just like a price play then i well, guess well then i sh- then i should ask what what do you think will happen with the next generation of of, of devices cuz generally the the history has been that uh the current uh generation phone that was like the the flagship phone slots down a rung and replaces the one from the prior year like currently the iPhone 5s is kind of the uh, mid-range secondary tier of phone. So do you think the 5S sticks around? Is that replaced by this new phone? Do you think Apple's uh, uh, lack of success with the 5C makes them more willing to do a new device rather than just keeping the old one that works? Like, what what do you think is going to happen there? I don't really know if we have a sense of how well the 5C did. It did poorly. But by by what measure? Uh, units sold. Yeah, but they don't they don't ever break that out. And and anything is anything that we hear about breakout between the different models is, is purely just speculation. Based on a lot of information sources and things that you can uh, look at, I would say the safe bet is that it's sold extremely poorly. And you can also, I think, the most obvious. Uh, indication of that it was the continued marketing where Apple did not have to talk about the 5S at all. Every billboard and everything that you saw was was plastering the 5C everywhere. And based on the people you see walking around, how often do you see a 5C? Uh, I mean, I guess I, I don't see it very often, but I don't know if that's necessarily the best measure for knowing how many units Apple sold. I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I, I don't know if there's enough information to say that for sure. So I don't really know if using that as the example of whether or not they'd be encouraged or discouraged to try to make, you know, a, something maybe that's similar. Because that's that's what Jason was describing on Upgrade was this would be kind of, you know, like the 5C, maybe even in the 5C's casing. Yeah. So oh, so yeah. So what do you think? Do you think uh, we're going to get just the usual uh, drop the previous model down a rung or do you think it's going to go new? I, yeah, I actually 
I actually don't think they're going to do a four inch iPhone. Um, I, I think that, I think Apple's really going to push these new screen sizes as being the standard. Um, well then what does that do to the mid and the low end iPhone tiers? 5S just becomes the free on contract model or. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I guess they would, they'd only have two new iPhones this fall. It'd be the, the new versions of the six and six plus. And then the current versions would get knocked down a ring. And then the five S would get knocked down to yeah that free on contract range. Do you think had there been um, a higher spec four inch iPhone, Apple might have sold more than 47 and a half million units. Night, very nice segue. Sometimes I, I, I surprise myself. Well, well, take take it away. Answer answer your own question. I don't know. I'm asking you. <laughs> so basically, so uh, yesterday Apple reported their uh, quarterly earnings for uh, was it uh, Q2, Q3. You sure? I believe so. Yeah, they have a um, they have somewhat of an odd uh, fiscal calendar. Yeah, it was their third quarter results, and it was the for the quarter ended June 27th. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I had to go check. What, are you at investor.apple.com? I was, yeah. What on earth is this? What, what store is that? Uh, it looks like a Mac Mini just built into the ground. Oh. I, is that like on their campus? I have no idea. Again, this, the podcasts are not a visual medium. Nobody knows what the hell we're talking Yeah, I actually am curious what Apple store that is. There's no little uh, fine print underneath. That's not that's not Fifth Avenue. That's a cube. No, is it? It's surrounded by water. It looks like too. Huh. It just. Hmm, is there an underground Apple store somewhere? Well, the the Fifth Avenue store is underground. Well, I mean, like this one looks like there there's a, an entrance that would only be underground. Anyway, um. So yeah, so uh, Q three results were about forty seven and a half million iPhones. I think it was about 11 million iPads, which was, again, a year-over-year decline, uh, even though Tim Cook is still pretty bullish on the product. There were no actual hard numbers on uh, Apple Watch, but uh, Tim Cook kept reiterating that it was uh, exceeding expectations and that June, uh, the last month of the quarter, was um, far better than the uh, prior months, which is to dispute... um, reports uh there was remember that like a couple weeks ago there was that report that said like sales were down like 90 percent or something uh something like that yeah so so he was disputing that and then uh there were uh, i think a little under uh five million uh max sold so overall it seemed like a pretty great quarter but the consensus estimates were hoping for like 48 or 49 million phones and everybody's worried about what china's instability is going to do to apple because that's their biggest growth market so overall, I don't know, the stock was down like uh, 5 to 10% over the course of the day. And yeah. Which is, I mean, that this is not the first time that's happened, where Apple has far exceeded their own guidance, by all measures had a good quarter. I guess then... that that's the, the difference, though, is that Apple generally aims really low on their um, on, on their guidance so that they can always have a big beat on... Uh, on earnings, but this was kind of barely beating. I think that's what has some people spooked. Yeah, maybe. 
that that also could be a kind of recalibration of their guidance going forward. I mean, who who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the thing that continues to stand out to me, and you this is not a uh, investment show as you as you know, Carlos, but um I, we, I thought we, this we, basically was mad money. <laughs> right. We we do talk about this stuff some. I I think the the most interesting part is the percentage of total revenue that the iPhone represents. Oh, I th- I think I've made that that point many times. You have, yeah. Um, I forget what that percentage is at now, but um, I think it's still about sixty-eight. I think I was gonna say sixty-seven. So yeah, so somewhere in the high <laughs> high high sixties. Um, I mean that's a that's a very very high number. Um, and of course that and and uh, a miss on total revenue or total revenue and also unit shipments in there in in a, in a one in the product that comprises the majority of the revenues is, is what's concerning people. Because not that it's not a diversified company, it, it's just that one product drives so much of its of its total revenue. I don't I don't view it that way so much as more in, in the the broader scheme of things. Where I mean, yes, right now there is absolutely nothing out there that seems to be even remotely close to being better than the iPhone in terms of of, of a smartphone. But, what, but mm. well, okay, that's that's my personal opinion. Well, no, you but can, what I'm saying is that, disagree. but you, but you're you're an American, or or you're in the U.S. That that's not where the majority of Apple's devices are sold. Well, but I think overseas the, the iPhone is selling just fine as well. But my my point is, I don't want to get distracted. My my point is that. It, I mean, technology is a fickle thing, and what seems like the absolute dominant market leader one day can very, very quickly become not the market leader. And again, I, I don't think there's anything that's going to come out tomorrow or next week that's going to just blow away the iPhone. But, I mean, in, in tech, nothing stays at the top forever. So I, I, think there's, I think there's a lot of pressure on Apple to be kind of two steps ahead of what they think is going to eventually, you know, succeed the iPhone. Because if, you know, if this product category is going to represent such a big part of their business, they have to be extra prepared to make sure that they're ready for, you know, whatever, maybe even new product category that comes along and replaces it. I'd agree, but I think there's a bit more to it, but. Well, I mean, please share. No, I, I just think there's a lot of other factors. I don't think it's always just necessarily having the best product. I think there's a based on where a lot of the growth is coming from. Like again, a, a stock price and also like their future revenue growth potential is based on like the U.S. smartphone market is saturated. And Apple, of course, uh, even though they don't have a majority of market share, they do make the majority of, of the profits in that and, and they have a healthy business. But in terms of what's going to grow the business and will maintain that is is not... Europe and the United States. So I, I think that those are markets where having the best product doesn't always win. I don't. I, I just think there's a lot more. There are many more factors that will determine how successful they're able to be. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so what? Are, what are your thoughts on the iPad? Do you think the the iPad Pro or iOS nine is going to make a is going to get people buying iPads again, or do you think it's just it's going to ma- it's going to be just a dramatically smaller business in comparison to the iPhone? Because f- for the most part, it's a secondary device. The the latter part of what you said, 
<laughs> okay. I think the, the iPad Pro and iOS 9 will help, no doubt, but I don't think that's going to all of a sudden turn the iPad into, you know, you know, iPhone level sales. So in that case, do you think the iPad will have a place in most users' lives, or is it always going to kind of remain this weird kind of I half want it second or third product? I think it, I think it has a place in people's lives, um, not the same place that a smartphone has. And I think what everybody's now learned is that thinking about the iPad the same way as the iPhone was a mistake. They're they're two very different products with very different upgrade cycles, and really just very different places in in the market. I mean, really, the iPad more and more is becoming almost like a PC replacement for a lot of people. And so I, th I think that's that's the better way to, to look at the iPad. And, you know, the fact is that computers just don't sell at the same rate as smartphones. They don't get replaced at the same rate as smartphones. So really comparing the iPad in any way to the iPhone in terms of sales, I think, again, as everybody's kind of seen now, it's just, it's just not, it's not, it's apples to oranges, you know, pardon the, the bad pun. <laughs> uh, so what's what's next we're, we're just churning and burning today we are i mean we could stick with the earnings stuff you seemed pretty uh wired into the the microsoft earnings uh sure well i mean uh yeah microsoft also reported earnings same day they had a couple of, of keys oh, did we talk about nokia already i think it's pronounced nokia Sorry, do you remember? Oh, never mind. <laughs> Wasn't there only like two people in the world that called it that, and one of them was Ryan Block? I who knows? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, Nokia, uh, the earnings uh, or or the acquisition of Nokia, I think in 2012, uh, Microsoft finally uh, realized that just from an accounting perspective, they had to write off the uh, lost value from that uh, acquisition. So I think there was a 7.6 billion dollar write down taken this quarter. Uh, which caused the company to have its largest quarterly loss in history, which I think ended up being about like $2.4 billion on the quarter. Uh, and that was um, in light of uh, very, very healthy sales growth on the side of Microsoft Surface, big growth in uh, cloud services, which I think on its own is now approaching uh, a billion-dollar business with Azure and, and Microsoft uh, in the cloud. So overall, uh, kind of a, a weird story, but... Um, Microsoft also seems extremely excited about Windows 10 that's coming out in a week, and they've got some uh, good things going for them. But yeah, the whole Windows Phone and uh, Nokia thing seems to kind of have just been a complete bust. And again, uh, Nadella is trying to run a more focused company, and they're just, in order to become a focused company, they're having to uh, exit or refine or refocus the operations that are not contributing to the bottom line, and that ends up being uh, Nokia and uh, Lumia devices because Windows Phone just did not pan out. Apparently, well, and it didn't pan out for a number of reasons, but I, I with Windows 10, they're still making Windows Phone, right? Uh, yes. I believe wow. so. I believe, I believe so. <laughs> yeah, not there. So, are, so right? are they now doing an exclusively a licensing model, which, which is one of the reasons why the Nokia acquisition failed because why are you competing with yourself? But so are they just going to have everybody else make the phones now? 
No, it wasn't one of Nadella's things. Was that he he wanted to build these kind of flagship devices? So wait, what? They're not going to have like a Google Nexus style thing? Like Google just does that because they have more money than they know what to do with, so they can, and they mostly, for the most part, get everybody else to make it for them. Like all the Nexus devices are made by either LG or Motorola. They're just sold unbadged with just like pure Google software on them. So does Microsoft think they're still going to do that? I, I I I don't have a good answer for that question. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Windows, Windows Phone has always been this really uh, challenging thing for me because it did seem like a very un-Microsoft thing to do where they they took risks and they did something interesting with the software, but it was just too late to market. And there were there was just always that uh, chicken and egg problem with the uh, the app situation. And no matter how good or interesting it was, it just kind of wasn't going to go anywhere. It's a bummer. It is, yeah. I I think having a third strong competitor in the smartphone space would have been a really good thing. I think I think that would have done a lot of great things for both iOS and Android. And we've seen what you know Android's done to iOS, and it's it's I, by all measures a, a good thing. And I think having Windows Phone in the mix too would have just kind of magnified that. Yeah, kind of, but not really. And there's always BlackBerry. <laughs> I couldn't tell if my internet connection dropped or it just wasn't that funny. I just, I just was, I was smiling at my microphone, which, you know, unfortunately that doesn't, uh, that doesn't play over, over audio. Yeah. Do you, yeah. They're probably just going to end up making uh, Android phones, right? Microsoft? No, no, BlackBerry. Oh, I was going to say, um, <laughs> no, no, that uh, that'd be pretty good though. I don't know. I guess it, it's it seems like the most logical path would be for someone just to buy them and incorporate some of the technology they have. But I don't know. May, maybe even that's become so irrelevant now. But but who would buy them? Yeah, I don't know. Motorola is already owned by Lenovo. They're the only people I could think that would have bought them. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So. On that note, a quick aside, what are your thoughts when people compare uh, smartphone and like mobile device operating system device sales versus traditional computers? Like when somebody makes the the suggestion that the number of uh, of like smartphone units sold or like iOS units compared to like traditional Windows computers, like iOS now has a bigger market share or, or bigger like number of units sold. Do you think that's a fair comparison? No. Why not? Because the iPhone's a subsidized device. Eh, kind of, but not really anymore. No. Well, how do you how do you mean? So subsidized by who? The carriers. Eh, not really anymore. I I don't know what you mean by that. Uh, most carriers are no longer subsidizing devices. Um. Well, subsidizing flash financing. I guess it's semantics. Well, but, but people, no, people, not people, really. Well, but when people people walk into a store they don't pay $600 out the door for an iPhone whereas when you they, they pay $600 over the course of 24 months sure but that's not people, subsidized right but when people go and purchase a computer that's traditionally not the way that they're they're purchasing that device well yeah because they're buying some $280 piece of crap Dell on Black Friday <laughs> Well, no, like I was, I, I'm, I'm being half, or I'm being mostly serious with that. Is like the average selling price of a Windows-based computer is is insanely low. 
Like, have you ever looked at a Best Buy these days? I guess I haven't. No. Like it, it's it's nuts. Like at like nine hundred dollars is considered the high end in in computers now. And it's always one of those like funky weirdo uh, like three in one convertible tablet things. Ugh. So anyway, okay. The consensus is a smartphone is not a PC, and those comparisons are BS. Okay. <laughs> this new this new show, I'm I'm transitioning the show. It's now called the BS Report. That that might be taken. Uh, Disney's not a very litigious company. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, all right. Uh, I think we have to go back to Apple. Okay. What what are what are your? Uh, it's a, it's not it's like three weeks in. What are your thoughts on Apple Music? Um, it's I don't know. Um, I, for me personally, the thing that I enjoy the least are the way playlists work apple created playlists or your own playlists well the, the fact that that's all there is what do you mean well the, the by far and away the number one thing i used on um even going all the way back to like mog and then like more more recently with rdo and spotify uh, were user-generated playlists and like one of the best ways that i found like new music and you know listening to music uh that was already popular i mean really just all kinds of music was looking at like the top user generated playlists um on, on all those services that was predominantly the way that i listened to music and that's that's just simply not a feature of apple music and from what they've said that seems like the exact opposite of what they want apple music to be so well no they they just they want it to be music discovery just not your music discovery well, they want it to be a, they want it to be curated, exactly by either the content creators or Apple's uh, music genre experts, not by the end users. Right. So I think you know, like function, like functionally, I think it works fine. The UI is confusing, but I, I think it, you can get used to it. But I, for me, it, it is it's the playlist thing. That's what that's what's made me really start thinking about. I've kind of started thinking about going back to RDO. Why? What What do you think that had over Spotify? The The playlists I found were better. Hmm. Like to the point where I'll put up with the crappy buggy app. Although that, I mean, that app looks really nice. It just doesn't work, but it looks nice. Hey, it's like Apple Music. Apple Music doesn't really look that nice. Actually, that's right. I really wish there was a way to hide the uh, the Connect tab. Eh, I mean, whatever. It's it's fine. It's not though, because all of my music is now tucked away into music. So if I just want to use my running playlist, it now takes four taps instead of two. I guess also, you know, the other big thing for me is I really only listen to um like stored music or like saved music on my iPhone. Like I I've never had a want or a need to have my kind of locally saved music library synced across like my Macs and my iPad. So I just don't really, I just don't listen to music that way on those other devices. I'll, I'll just, I'll listen to some streaming usually. So, you know, the whole Apple music cloud or Apple, whatever it's called. Is it Apple music cloud? Is that it? There's Apple iTunes match. There's iTunes in the cloud and there's Apple music that you can synchronize for offline storage. Okay. Whatever. 
that that also that also just isn't it's not really something I use or am interested in. Okay, so you don't like music? Gotcha. No, I I very much enjoy music. I just don't. So you're saying there's never any music that you own that you that's not available for streaming? I I, I guess that's what I'm saying. Okay. All right. I've, I've never seen that. I, I don't know. In my, in my cases, that the music availability and the permanence has never been there for me to trust a streaming service uh, alone. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. Um, I don't feel that way. Hmm. Well, Sugar Ray isn't releasing that many new albums, so I can understand. That. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I guess overall, I I don't have the hatred that a lot of people have had towards it, and I also by no means love it. I'm mostly kind of neutral on it, but I think I think the whole playlist thing is going to eventually get me to switch back to RDO. So as of now, you do not think you're going to be renewing your um, three-month trial? No, no. Okay. I'm kind of feeling the same way, but knowing me, I'll probably get stuck paying for both. Ooh, and that, that doesn't seem like a good option. It doesn't, but I don't know. Because right now, like my run, my running playlist includes, it now includes four songs that I do not own, but I'm yet too lazy to actually put my running playlist into Spotify entirely. So that's why. <laughs> and that that laziness is worth one hundred and twenty dollars a year to you. I never said I was a smart man. <laughs> I I don't know. It's just yeah, yeah pay, paying for paying for two on demand services seems that seems tough. As you as you would say, it does. And also, right now, I also pay for iTunes Match, which I still am not entirely clear on the difference. So yeah, I, I got to figure it out. That subscription didn't just roll into Apple Music somehow? Because they're still different products. How, like, how so? No. <laughs> no, like, if people have tried to explain it, I'm still not entirely sure. Like, because uh, iTunes in the cloud allows me to download my music on any Mac or uh, iOS device, and presumably Windows PCs, if those still exist. And and you get to, since it's music you own, you get to download them DRM-free. So if you do that with Apple Music, you're downloading DRM files that expire after a month. So I think that's the big difference. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it is cheaper, I guess. It's $25 a year as a compared to $10 a month, right? Yeah. Am I still able to listen to Beats 1 if I cancel my subscription? I believe so. Yeah, I think that part is free. I think all the radio stuff is free. Although I assume you, you're back limited to like six, uh, six skips an hour. If you do that, I th- I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. God, maybe maybe I'll download RDO again tomorrow. Why? Because the app it looks so nice and the what? playlists are but great. What? Again, what's wrong with Spotify? Like, what what are you missing in terms of playlists from Spotify? Like, it has it has so many more users. So how on earth are you lacking for playlists? I don't know. I just I found like just by I've... sheer number that that seems like to not make sense you'd have way more choice with spotify it's not the quantity it's the quality carlos so only hipsters use rdo right because i i'm totally a hipster well no i'm just saying like 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 music snobs if, if you're saying the like a smaller quantity of playlists is giving you much more value i don't know this means I don't know. as a person who predominantly listens to popular uh 
music. I, I would not say I'm a music snob. <laughs> okay. I, f- I forgot. There's only uh, so many uh, Bublé Christmas albums you can <laughs> structure uh, uh, and, 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 um, and find the perfect mate with uh, Sugar Ray's Greatest Hits. And interspersed with Linkin Park. I very much enjoy that you associate me with uh, being a huge fan of Michael Bublé. Because it's true? I, I like that. It's almost That's almost as uh, good as the whole Uber uh, brigade thing that we had going there for a while. Uber fleet. Oh, it can come back. <laughs> Did you not listen to any of that? Uh, the, the New York Bill de Blasio uh, Uber stuff? This can come back in a second. Uh, I've followed it from a distance. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll close the show out with that, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. And then on that note, uh, a, a quick aside. Do, uh, you'd mentioned this to me. What's your thought? So you particularly made a point about Jim Dalrymple, who runs the uh, the loopinsight.com uh, website, where when Apple Music came out, he was just effusively positive about the service and wrote this big, like, multi-thousand-word article about how just how is is the bee's knees, and uh, he just he couldn't deal with anything else. And then a month later, he comes out with this thing that says, like, I just hate it. So what's your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so the so the first article he wrote was came out the day that Apple Music came out, June 30th, called First Look Apple Music. And I read through this at the time, and it just it read as a complete puff piece. Um, there was very little concrete substance to it. Clearly, he hadn't been using it for that long, so how he could have become so attached to it so quickly was was perplexing. Um, everything about it just didn't didn't read right to me. And yeah, so there was a quote in here kind of near the beginning. Uh, he says, I was not only pleasantly surprised when I started using it, meaning Apple Music, I'm downright impressed. And then not three weeks later, or I guess a little over three weeks later, uh, the article he wrote today is, Apple Music is a nightmare and I'm done with it. Um, and so the quote here is, um, after all the problems I've experienced over the last couple of weeks, I'm disabling it altogether. I don't, I don't know how someone goes from being downright impressed to disabling it altogether in three weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that was my main concern or my, like, it's not just him, but I think a lot of people in like technology writing now are like they're really committed to having a very strong opinion or like a big takeaway from an article so that they don't just say, oh, something's fine or something. Eh, this this is pretty cool, but this isn't so this isn't so neat and I'm not sure how this is gonna work and it'll take time to see. Like it seems like everybody has to always have like a really strong opinion rather than like appreciating the nuance that a topic requires. And I think that was like pioneered by The Verge and that's kind of permeated other technology sites. And I think that's the big problem that was there where he wanted to have a a strong opinion on it and make like sweeping statements about how it's the best thing ever. And then once you actually live with something, like I appreciate that he's honest enough to speak to it now and, and, and say what, he feels after having lived with it but it just it's it strikes me as odd that the first article was so so effusive it 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 definitely connects to the the idea that we've talked about on and off for the last few weeks about 
kind of getting this growing sense of of some Apple followers being a little too easy on the company. And I've I've been I've been trying to struggle. Or I mean, I've been struggling with a way to sort of summarize what I think about this. And I I think how I would put it is it seems like Apple writers like Jim and I would put people like Mike Hurley and maybe even Gruber in this too, where whenever Apple comes out with something new, they come at it with the perspective of assuming it's great until being proven otherwise. Whereas with everything that's not made by Apple, they go into it with the assumption that it sucks and it's terrible until proven otherwise. And that just that those that seems very hard to reconcile for me. It seems like no matter who the product is made by, you should be kind of coming at it from the same perspective. I'm not entirely sure that's the case. I think that might be the case for one particular person, which I would say like Jim probably fits that. But I I would say it goes back to what I um my my original point, which is that like just the tech media in general really wants to have strong opinions on things. And I don't think that even has anything to do with just Apple. I think that has to do with whenever Samsung releases something or any like notable product or service where there has to be a strong narrative behind it that drives page views or that people can say, like, is or is X or Y uh, good or bad? Like, there's, there's not a lot of gray anymore in, in tech writing, which is what uh, concerns me. So I don't think anybody like is shilling for a particular uh, company. I I think it's just people are just uh, just not being cr- critical enough or willing to not be fully decided in the rush to have an opinion out of the gate. Yeah, and I th- I think I've mentioned this on the show too. I I, f- I find increasingly that there's very little value in initial reviews that come out because you know these reviewers are spending such little time with these products and services and they're under such pressure to you know be the first to post and you know be out there day one that you know i i think the real valuable reviews are the are the ones where you know people spend like a few weeks with something or a month with something um and that that's never the that's never the case with Apple products and really never the case with any sort of tech stuff. Generally, review units only go out maybe, you know, a few days in advance, maybe a week at the most. Um, and I, I think that's I think that's a real shame because I, I think having products and services used under such a kind of compressed timeline can't in any way lead to a, a complete picture of how that product works or how how that service works well i mean I, a couple a couple notes on that i don't necessarily think it's the it's the the job well one with the apple watch uh most reviewers were actually given like two to three weeks in advance with the unit because apple did acknowledge that they think it's a product that you have to live with in order to get um an accurate sense of how, how it'll actually fit in your life um but i i what i'm I'm not sure companies should have to provide units so so early before launch just so reviewers can give more balanced reviews rather than reviewers just taking the tone of saying that this is what they think now and some things are subject to change rather than trying to cram 
what they think is like a one month perspective based on a couple of days with something. Like I think it falls more on the reviewer to be to be honest and and realistic about things rather than the company having to give somebody uh, like an extra month that they could be using to refine or um, improve a product. Well, okay. All right. Do you have any other news? I'm scrolling through the the Slack. Um, I don't. I don't really think so. I think we I think we hit on the big stuff. Okay. Uh, do you have any picks of the week? Ah, you you putting me on the spot again. You should just. You should always have something in mind <laughs> for that week. It could be very small. Uh, if you go first, maybe I can come up with something. Okay. Mine's pretty minor, but it's a uh, very good game that's available for uh, iPhone and iPads. Uh, it's called Alpha Bear. And it's it's a delightful. Uh, it's kind of a cross between uh, threes and uh, a word game. It's kind of like Bogglish uh, meets threes, and it's inc- it's incredibly fun. And it's uh, there's very uh, cute graphics, and it's it's um, very cool. So I recommend it. Alpha Bear. I I had I had not heard of this prior to prior to that. Yeah, it's super good. Hmm. Man, I I don't I don't try to think over the last week if I've like downloaded any new software or it can be television show, it could be something you read, an app, uh real life experience. I guess I've never uh, I this isn't something that's happened in the last week, but it's recent, I guess. I I've, I've been catching up with the show Veep. Mm. Have I mentioned that on the show? I think we've discussed it offline. Yeah, maybe. It's it's I I very much enjoy it. It's it's really funny. Gotcha. Respectfully disagree, but but yeah. So who would you say it gets better over time, or do you think uh, for some like if somebody watches the first two episodes, they think they probably have a pretty accurate picture of what they're in for. I think you have a pretty accurate picture of what you're in for after a couple episodes. The show doesn't really fundamental. Well, it changes in a couple big ways, but the the tone is pretty much the same if you didn't find it funny to start out with it's probably not going to change right okay okay well i'm glad you enjoy it i could see that humor not really being your style Hmm. yeah it's a bit too uh hateful for me yeah yeah it's and it continues to be that way they're they're all terrible people but again it's not like terrible people in like the sense of arrested development or or something else or what's what's another uh show where everybody kind of is is awful well, but the in, in Arrested Development, the characters are kind of harmlessly terrible, whereas in Veep, they're actively terrible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm g- glad you're enjoying it. You know, it, it's refreshing, too, just to watch a, you know, sub 30 minute per episode show. I kind of I kind of like that. Well, there there are many, many shows like that. I know, but I guess most of the shows I've watched over the last handful of years have been, you know, at least 40-something minutes, or in the case of, like, HBO, like, the full, you know, 60 minutes. Sure. Or or with Netflix, too. Yeah. With, whole, with Netflix, you never really know what you're going to get with episode length. Yeah. Uh, one thing, uh, one uh, kind of secondary minor recommendation I will make is uh, there was a show that uh, was upgraded, or that was upgraded, that was mentioned on Upgrade a couple weeks ago called Mr. Robot. It's not that bad. Recommend giving that a shot. You know, they should run with that when they when they mention something on the show saying that it got upgraded. That's pretty good. You can send it in. Hashtag ask upgrade. 
Yeah, you should. Um, we didn't even talk about this on on this show. You're you're famous on that show now. I don't think I am. You had a question on the Ask Upgrade segment, which then was not only answered, but then prompted some follow up on the following week's show. That's that's a big deal. I'm not sure it is. But did we actually talk about that topic on here? I don't think so. Well, maybe we did. Okay. Well, just to recap it, uh, it I, I was I'm I was uh, curious about what people think about using Touch ID to secure individual apps instead of uh, or uh, when they already lock their entire phone. So, particularly for me, like Evernote and Dropbox, it seems like that's just an extra step that keeps me away um, from my own data. And I was just wondering, kind of, what what other people felt about that. Still, not any clearer. Yeah, I mean, I guess like it... my phone doesn't leave my hand that often to the point where I'm not sure. Like a one password, of course, you have to uh, password protect that. But Evernote, like, I mean, no, I wouldn't want a stranger to uh, to to get at that stuff. But also, like, my phone is set to lock after a minute, so I don't know. Yeah, I I, I can see it both ways. I guess I guess where I kind of land on it though is having to do touch ID a second time for a particular app after, you know, you've unlocked it is, is kind of a small price to pay for that extra layer of security. But for me, it's that an application doesn't realize that the phone is still like uh, that the phone is still on its initial unlock. So if I go into Evernote and I unlock it with touch ID and I go to look at, um, like, like a note I had, and then I jump into Safari and then I need to go back to that Evernote document it requires it again. So anytime I switch apps, it requires it again. That's the part that gets uh, super annoying. Yeah, if it could be a little smarter with that, um, that would be nice. And also faster. That's I think that's the issue, that it's not instantaneous. Right. Um, you know, I, th- I think the ultimate solution would, would be having having the phone work similar to how the watch works, where when you put the watch on, there's, you know, an authentication process either by typing in your passcode or by using touch id on your phone and then it stays unlocked until it detects that it's left your wrist so if if there was a way for the phone to do something similar where you touch id to authenticate and then it, it somehow tells whether or not it's ever left your hand as being kind of the trigger to then prompt you for touch id again that'd be great so i say this i say this half jokingly but I think the solution to that is going to be like uh, eye reading technology. Like, isn't that the only logical solution? Because I don't see where the phone would understand that, like, you stop holding it. Because, like, if you have a case on your phone, that wouldn't work, or there's there's a lot of issues with that. But if the phone is able to like maintain eye contact with you and realize that it's still you, that would solve that issue. No, I think that's a good point. That it seems like that sort of. Um perpetual authentication I, I don't know what the right phrase for it is um but yeah would ha- what you mean would ha- yeah would, would have to come from something other than just your hand yeah the eye the eye things that's not a bad idea because even for, for no matter how dumb the feature is samsung i think like since the galaxy s4 has this really terrible feature called like uh smart scroll and smart stay where it uses the front facing camera of the phone to like try to acknowledge when you stopped looking at it so like if you're looking at it it never shuts off the screen which i mean it's a it's a novel concept it doesn't work of course because it's it's samsung but 
uh, like I think it's it's one of those things. If that was refined, that would be a pretty big uh, like iPhone seven feature. Yeah, I guess I I don't know I don't I don't follow uh, eye tracking technology that closely as you, as you know. Was that a joke uh, about? Was that a two layered joke? I don't think so. Okay. What, was it? You don't follow eye tracking? Oh, good for me. No, I I didn't mean it that I didn't mean it that way. We can we'll 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 cut and rearrange all that though to make it sound like it was. <laughs> um but I, I yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we have the technology to have your phone be, I mean, let's say what two feet away from your face I, I don't i don't know what the average distance is so a foot or two away from your face at all times whether or not the camera or some other sensor in the phone can accurately detect whether the same eye is looking at it or maybe face i don't know maybe yeah maybe maybe it just seems that, like if it seems like a, a, a somebody with a, a different sized head i guess you know what though like that would have to build kind of another layer of trust because like if if the setting is your phone stays unlocked until it detects that it no longer can see your eye or your face or whatever it is it just kind of seems like you're you're putting you're putting quite a bit of faith in that technology that it won't bug out and continue to stay unlocked even after it's you know lost track of your face or whatever it is yeah I feel like I feel like that would take me a little while to begin to trust. Yeah. Did you have any apprehension about Touch ID at first? I no, not really. No. Like you weren't one of those weirdos that thought like uh, Apple's going to ship uh, your fingerprints off to the NSA or something. Yeah. No. 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 Okay. No. They are, but. <laughs> I guess like the analogy that comes to mind from something that I've kind of recently experienced is, you know, my new car has, you know, like the whole keyless entry thing, which is, you know, mostly standard now. And so, you know, I don't ever have to even take my key out of my pocket, including locking the car. And that's, that's taking me some time to build up trust in, because there is still the option. There is still like a lock button on the key, but alternatively you can just press your thumb on top of any of the door handles and that that locks the entire car and that's um that's taken me some time to get used to and to trust hmm like trust in to know that it actually happened right but doesn't it make a noise when you do it not like the horn doesn't go off you can hear the locks lock and then there's a little light that comes on above each you know uh, door handle but gotcha i don't know I guess it's it's reprogramming my way of thinking about locking the car because, you know, for the past 11 years, I've, or 12 years, whatever, I've um, had to press a button to lock the car, so. The future is now. Mm-hmm. All right, with that, do you want to wrap this up? Uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs>